we are pausing this morning from our Bible engagement uh, project. If you've been with us for the last two months, you know, or is it now? It's a, it's a month and a half. We've been doing Bible engagement, and our Bible engagement is going from Genesis to Revelation, where we're listening for the voice of God through the stories of God, and we are taking 10 individual volumes over 30 weeks from now until the end of June, and we're doing it from our children all the way up through our adults, including our small groups. So I'm saying that. Some of you said, I've heard you say this every week. Yes, but it's new to some people, and you know what? If you're like me, you need to hear it a few times before you actually remember remember it. But that's why we're doing this. We are studying God's word. But today and for the next two weeks after this, we are going to pause and we're going to do something a little bit different. But before we get to that place, I want to see how much we've absorbed and how much we've learned. So we are going to see who remembers our faith verses for the first two volumes. If you don't know what the faith verses are, the previous one is always in the giant etch-a-sketch on the, in the board out in the lobby. And you can actually look at that and you can learn more about it. But, but last week, if you were here, you know Pastor Christine. She's our kid's pastor. And she didn't just ask kids to recite the verses, but she gave candy as rewards. And I am never going to let a children's pastor one-up me for anything in the world if we can. So I'm going to ask, now this is to the adults today, because I literally had a five-year-old kid recite both verses to me this morning, and I was incredibly, incredibly blessed. Uh, Six years old, I think, actually. How cool is that? So I want to talk to our adults today, and I want to ask our adults if anyone remembers volume one's verse today. Anyone here that could recite and say by heart what our verse is? Linz, you can say it? Okay, hang on, hang on. Come up here. Come up here. We need you to come up here. I'll come down one click for you so you can say it. Here you go. One step. You know the verse? Yeah, but I'm going to forget like where in the Bible. That's it's, okay. It's, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. It's in, in Psalm one. Psalms 119.11. You got it. Good, good. Stay here. Stay here. Stay here. I don't have candy for you. But I have my business card. I have my business card with a signature. It's personally signed by, by me. There you go. Thanks, Lynn. Thanks, Lynn. I should have given that to you after because I need a volunteer for number two and now no one's going to raise their hand. So who up? We need, we need volunteer number two. The current faith first. Who else do we know can say faith first for number two? And you're saying, I don't want to come up there. So John, you know it? Okay, cool. I'll come over here. John, come on. Give it up for John. Let's go. Go ahead. Faithful is he that calls you who also will do it. First Thessalonians 5.24. That's the King James Version, so it may sound a little different, but that's the one I read. It's the right one. That's right. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You forgot the most important part. That's two of two, my friend. Remember that. Okay. God is faithful and he will do it. For the one who called you is... Oh, God is faithful and he will do it for the one who's called you. God is faithful and he will do it. No, God will make this happen. See what happens when I think about the King James? God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. Those are the two scriptures. Again, over the course of the next 30 weeks, you guys are going to have 10 scriptures deposited in your heart, and I'm excited to be a part of that. Today, we are going to pause for a few moments. Over the next few weeks, we're going to do something a little bit different, and we're going to focus on one of our core values of the church. You probably haven't heard this in a long time, and it's been a while since we've talked about this in the church, quite honestly, but it's something we need to talk about today. Our core value that we're looking at today is investing in others, and the core value of investing in others, if I can summarize it just in a sentence or so, says this, as being generous towards others is the result of seeing God's generosity towards us and includes us in his mission to share his love with the world. 
Why is this important to us? Because being generous towards others, God calls the people of God, his church, to invest in others. How do we do that? We do that through our time. We do that through our gifts and our talents. We do it through our money and our resources or our treasures, as some people say. But being generous towards others is the result of seeing God's generosity towards us. Let me just stop there for a second and say this. If generosity is something you or I or any of us struggle with, you do not have a money problem, a time problem. You have a heart problem. When I struggle with being generous towards others, it's not because my budget's too tight or my calendar's too full. It's because my heart needs to be worked on. Because when I understand and I walk in a relationship with Jesus and I reflect on the generosity he has had towards me, the natural response is to be generous towards others. Does that make sense? It is so important to understand that. Well, if, if I could just make a little bit more money, if I could just have a little bit more time, you don't know what my schedule is like. And I don't know what your schedules are like. But what I do know is that, dude, I'm from New Jersey, New, New York and New Jersey, and they're like the crazy busiest people in the whole world. It seems like everyone's so busy, the schedules run nonstop. The ideas of sitting and breathing and just resting, really, really hard and difficult to do sometimes. But the truth of the matter is, it's not a matter of how much time or resource we have. It's a proposition and the position of our hearts that determine that. That's why investing in others is a core value for our church. And being generous towards others is the result of seeing God's generosity towards us. When I struggle towards generosity towards others, when I start to keep things closer to myself, I realize that I don't have an issue because of my, of my resources. I have an issue because of the condition of my heart. And that's what I want over the next few weeks. My heart is that you will hear some of the things that we're going to talk about today and next week and during our Thanksgiving service as you all have opportunity to share. We have microphones that people can share on the 27th. And that God would use these next couple of weeks to really speak to you, especially in a season right now where our world and our economy continues to tell us we need to be careful, 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 careful. We need to take a step back. No, it's during those times sometimes where God allows us to show us just how much more of a faithful provider he really can be. So that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. The series is called Jaira. Just like the song that we sang. It's called Jaira. And it's from Philippians 4.19. Not the word itself, but the theme is 4.19. But I want to read where it actually came from. Just a few weeks ago during Bible engagement, the story of Abraham and Isaac. Some of you remember, Abraham is the father of Isaac. He was promised by God that he would have a son. And that from that son, he would, have, um, he would be the father of a nation. And all nations would be blessed through him. God called Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. So he obediently took a three-day trip to sacrifice his own son. And yet God would never have made him do that. At the point of the matter where he was going to sacrifice his son, there was a ram in the thicket that he was able to take. He sacrificed the ram instead of his son. And during that time, Abraham responded by saying, God is our provider. We see this in Genesis 22, 13 and 14. And it says, Abraham looked up. This is right when he was getting ready to sacrifice his son and God stopped him. He said, he looked up there in the thicket. He saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. That's where this comes from. The names of God, Jehovah, and there's lots of different names that you see in scripture, but he is Jehovah Jireh today. He is the Lord, our provider, the one who provides. But let me just stop for a second and say this. Many times people have heard the word Jireh 
or Jaira. There's no J in Hebrew, but they'll say Yaira, and they'll say it means provider. And it's not untrue that it means God will provide, but what it actually literally means is the Lord will be seen. The Lord will be seen. Can you think of a better way for God to be seen than through the way he provides for his people and his creation? If everything we have comes from God, as James says, everything belongs to God, as James says, we can look around and see God's provision. And by seeing God's provision, we also see God. Does that make sense? When we see God's provision, when we see God's working around us and in us, we see God in part. That's one of the way it happens. We see everything happening around us. You can see God's working and God's provision. Romans 1, it says, just look at creation and you can see this happening. I love the, um, uh, the, the comparison I make when I think about how when man touches things, it gets worse without maintenance. But if you let God's creation alone, it gets more beautiful. Because God will be seen as the provider who allows all things to work together. So this is what we're talking about today. Seeing God and his faithfulness so that he really can be in our hearts the provider. I'm convinced one of the ways that we demonstrate and we see God as our provider is to see what he has done before us. Some of you may be listening to me this morning and say, I haven't had a lot of opportunity to see God and his provision. Or maybe there's just a little story here or there that you might remember. That's why scriptures are very clear that the way that we tell our stories of the past and how God did things that we could not have done ourselves, when those stories are told over and over through generation after generation, we see the pattern of God's faithfulness and God never changes. So if he was faithful then, he will be faithful when? Now. So we need to share our stories. We need to tell our stories. When God's provision seems simple and when it seems absolutely impossible. Today we're talking about trusting God with the impossible and that's the message title for today. Trusting God with the impossible. Have you ever been in a situation where you have walked through such a level of difficulty that you think was completely impossible. And in fact, it would have been impossible with men. But when we stand on the mountain of God, we can see God's faithfulness. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Can I tell you, the impossible becomes possible when we tell God to do what only he can do. And then we do what we can do. But God is the one that does everything. God is the one that takes care of all things, even when we doubt. So we're going to take a few moments this morning, and we're going to look at trusting God with the impossible. And it is a faith verse that we're going to use over the next three weeks. Our kids are learning the same verse today. It's out of Philippians 4.19. And it says specifically, And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. My God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You know what I love about this? This is, this is how I interpret this. Well, let me back up and say this is how I don't interpret it. Anything I want, I can pray for and Jesus will give me. No, that's not what it says. He meets our needs, not our greeds, okay? But I look at it and I say, God's will, God's bill. God's will, God's bill. God's purpose, God's plan, God's provision. 
When it's God's purpose and God's plan, it is God's provision. My God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. This is what we see in the Old Testament. This is what we see in the New Testament. We see the thread of how he provided, whether it was Adam and Eve, whether it was Noah or Moses, whether it was the whole nation of Israel in the New Testament and the old alike. He cared for widows and orphans. He took sick people and made them well. He brought dead people and brought them to life. He took condemned people spiritually and he brought salvation through Jesus Christ on the cross. God's will, God's bill. And that's what he does. He takes the purpose and the plan and he provides. That's who he is. So how do we look at that today? Well, I thought about taking time this morning and opening this Bible and reading scriptures and talking about those things. But again, remember what I said, the actual literal definition of Yaira is the God who is seen. And I think one of the best ways that we can explain and show how God is seen is to actually hear stories. And I think one of the best ways we can share stories is from people that have gone before us to hear their stories. You see, I am, I'm going to be 50 next month, okay? So no comments, okay? So, some of you think that's an insult, and some of you, you know, just wait till you're my age, and other people are like, you're old. You know, I talked to a guy yesterday or Friday that I, that I met and he told me how old his father was. And when he told me how old his father was and how he described that, I dared not tell him how old I was because I thought I'm in the same boat, dude. Um, here's why I'm sharing that though. I really believe in our generation right now that there is a generation of students, young people, teens, 20 somethings that are losing the understanding and the significance of what it means to see God as their provider. I think they're hearing more about how everyone cares for you or the government cares for you, or maybe they've never had an opportunity to live in a situation where they really needed God to be their provider because they've had everything they've ever needed. Listen, the truth of the matter is if you make more than thirty-two to $35,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of the world's wealthiest people. Do the math. Do the math. And make yourself wonder, like, in the 7 billion people that live in this world, we're already so well-blessed. Having a conversation with someone last week that said they grew up most of their life wondering where their next meal was going to come from. Not really an issue for most of the people in our country or in our community, though there are real needs. But I think it's important for us to take a little time and listen to the people who have walked this journey, not just a year or two before us, but have spent their lifetime learning what it looks like and teaching what it looks like to see the provider come through each and every day. So I invited two people from Bridge to come and share this morning, and that's why we have our couches here, okay? Um, Some of you may know them. Uh, Peter and Betty Miller are a part of Bridge, and I'm going to share a little bit about them just for a moment and then invite them to come up. If you know Peter and you know Betty, you know they're some of the sweetest, kindest people you're ever going to meet, and they absolutely love Jesus, okay? Peter and Betty have been connected in pastoral ministry for almost 60 years. They have walked with Jesus almost their entire lives. Peter came out of an Amish home when he was six years old. And God has used him and Betty in supernatural ways. Almost 40 years they pastored in New England, most of that in New Hampshire, and for 20 years in Pennsylvania. And today they are a part of Bridge Community Church. And I love them dearly. I've known Peter for many, many years. He has a wonderful heart for Jesus. Um, Betty is an amazing cook. (laughs) 
fully Italian through and through, if you know what I mean. But you get an opportunity to listen to their hearts and how they've been able to show Jesus to others and how God has used them. It will move you and you'll see a story of how God is seen through provision. So I'm going to ask them if they would come up. Um, yeah, Peter and Betty, would you join me up here? And would you all just give them a warm bridge welcome? Come on up here. Come on up, Betty. I'll give you a hand. Come on up. Thank you. You're welcome. Peter, come on. I'll give you a hand. Thank you. Have a seat. All right. Hello. It's good to see you again. Good to see you. Don't they look awesome? The microphone's already on. It's on. It's already on. Yep. Yeah, just just keep it up. Yeah, they can hear you. Just do a quick test on it to make sure we can hear. Can you say something in there just so we can hear you? Praise the Lord. Amen. Awesome. Good. So the reason why I asked Peter and uh, Betty to join me today is because I told them we're going to do a three-week series called Jira, and I want to hear some of their stories. I was one that grew up hearing stories of people that have walked in ministry well ahead of me, and it has, formula- it has formed and shaped part of who I am today, not just so that I can live vicariously off of those things, but I can then trust God for things he wants to do in my life. Does that make sense? So um, Peter and Betty are examples of that this morning, and they're going to share three different brief stories this morning that I think will stir your hearts. Now, I said earlier, I also overlooked it, I didn't say it, but Peter, in addition to pastoring up in New Hampshire, you are also a district presbyter, and you were an assistant superintendent in New England for many years. And uh, everybody, according to Betty, you said everybody in town loved Pastor Pete, right? Yeah. Everybody knew Pastor Pete. Everybody loved Pastor Pete. Yes. He was asked to become the uh, chaplain of the police department, of the uh, children who got into trouble, the youth, and the senior center. And he was all around town all the time. She's my cheerleader. (laughs) She's a good cheerleader. So three stories we're going to talk about briefly today. Um, the first story, when you were telling me about your pastoring uh, in, um, uh, remind me of this, the town again, or, uh, Portsmouth, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. There was a church that God called you to do, to pastor there. You were there for almost 40 years, right? And you told me a story about when you first started there and some of the news that came to you regarding a need for an imminent move and what God did through that. So share that story for us a little bit about what happened. It was in the 70s in Rye, New Hampshire. Pentecost was poured out, and there was a friary where the Catholics would gather, and the Protestants would gather together seeking for the Holy Spirit. And our church began to grow. And so I realized we had to build. But first, we had to build because 95 came right through our church and our parsonage. So it was a blessing, really. So we built the first church. We dedicated it and. 72, 
And uh, this was during the reception. What do you call it? Recession. I had a stroke, so bear with me. You're good. And there's no place to build on. So I had a funeral. A friend of mine whose mother died asked me to have her funeral. And this couple owned a bar downtown, Portsmouth. So I went in the bar and talked to him, tried to lead him to Christ. And I said, we need land, and you've got three acres. Would you sell us the three acres? He said, yes. There was no street, but we checked with the state, and the state had a market street going downtown off 95. And so we said, thank God. So we started to build. And we ran out of money. (laughs) You know what it is, Pastor. Help me, honey. Our first church that was taken by the state was a little New England white country church, seated 100. And the one that we're planning to build, we figured 200, that gives us room to grow. And we hired a builder, and he began to work and wanted his pay every month. We got to the place where we ran out of building fund money, and we told the church that, and they prayed about it. And then we told the builder, and he said, do you want me to quit? He said, what are we going to do? And my husband said to him, it's your job to build. It's our job to pray. Let's keep going, which we did. And he built the major part of the church, but not the painting inside, not the flooring in the uh, children's area, but the volunteers stepped in, and we were able to finish that building. There are more stories there, too. But then as that church grew, people were getting saved constantly, including the Catholics from the Friary, and we had to add chairs down the aisle every week to seat everybody. And so we got to the place where we knew we had to build again. And so we chose another architect to come and build for us, which he did. And in the meantime, we had taken care of our bills for the first church, and now uh, we had to have a mortgage to build again. That first church... After running out of money, it sat there for a winter. No floor was downstairs. So one day, a couple drove by the church on the way to Maine. 
on the way going back to Boston stopped. We knew them and we had a visit with them. He said, Pete, how's the church going? I said, well, the cement hasn't been poured. We ran out of money. He says, let's go see it. So I took him down to the church. We came back to the house. He said, Pete, in a week, my brother-in-law is going to be here, and he'll pour the concrete. He's a cement finisher. So we had volunteers come out, and the floor was poured. Thank God. And, and, and you told me they didn't charge you for it. You said it was a gift. It was yes, free. Yes. It was free. They didn't yes. just do it, but they did it at no cost. You also said, if I remember when we talked, you said um, God spoke to you about putting money down. When you went to the builder and said, we have no money, that you all had a conversation and God told you to empty your bank account. You didn't tell how much that you emptied, but you gave that towards the project. This right? was the second church. Oh, that's in the second church. Right. So we're putting the two together in the second church. Yes. That happened. But then shortly after that happened, someone came to you and had a conversation, right? Correct. And what was that conversation? I worked full-time when we pastored in Vermont. We were starting a church. It was pioneering. And so we put aside money. We bought a bond every month. We had no insurance we trusted God and said, well, if, if it's an emergency, we've got a little bit of money. So God spoke to my wife and I, and God said, you need money for the church. Why don't you put that money in the saving that you have for for?" insurance, put it in the church. And so uh, Betty and I prayed about it and put it in the church. So we had a bill. Tell the bill. This, this is the second building now, a bigger one. And uh, again, the, a different builder is building, but my husband went to the bank and said, we're going to need a mortgage because we need to build. And he said, no problem. We know your record. We depend that you will keep your agreement. No problem. You can come and get a mortgage whenever you're ready. And so we began, and soon we ran out of building fund money again. And... Uh, <clears throat> When we ran out of the building fund, my husband went to the uh, bank manager again and said, we're ready for that mortgage now. He said, I'm so sorry. We're in recession. We do not have any money. We cannot give you a mortgage. He said, I'm sorry, but I have no choice. So again, do we keep building or do we quit? We kept going. 
and the church was praying. And uh, one time when the builder gave us his bill for the month, it was quite large. And so my husband would take the bill, put it on the altar, and ask the church to pay, to pray. And... (laughs) 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 True, to pray. And he would tell them, if you have one dollar, give one dollar. If you have five, five. Whatever you can do will be fine. And that's when he said... I have some savings. The Lord told me to put my savings towards this bill. And he didn't tell them how much it was, just that he was going to give the savings. And so we had a neighbor who was watching also what was going on. She was my friend, but not part of the church. So she would ask me every month, do you have enough money? Do you have enough money? And this time I said, no, Marilyn, we don't. And this is a Monday morning after the bill was due. And she said, you're frightening me. (laughs) And I said, don't worry, the Lord will provide. And then, this is Monday morning, one of the men from the church came to the door and came in and he said, Pastor, if you can give your savings, I can give mine. And he gave a check for the sa- his savings. It was the exact amount we needed for that month's build. bill. God always provides. God's always on time. That's it. Go ahead. That's good. Isn't that encouraging? I mean, yeah. I want you to talk about the second story if you want, I mean, if we can today, because that story, they're all powerful and significant. But when you were in Portsmouth in the church after the building projects, um, your family was being raised. And I remember, Betty, you told me a story that God put it on your heart to want to see a Christian school start there because you were seeing what was happening in the community with your kids. And you began praying for God to create a school in your community, right? True. Our middle daughter was always getting into trouble in school. Not her trouble. (laughs) Not her trouble. But coming home on the bus, she'd have cigarette burns (laughs) in her jacket, and the driver wouldn't do anything about it. And in school, one time, she had to write a report, which she did. It was on her desk, and a young guy came and ripped it all apart. And then she, of course, reacted to him. (laughs) Very difficult words that she said to him. And they both got called to the office. Lynette could not lie, but the other boy did. So Lynette was the one who would get the detention. Every time anything like that happened, I would pray, Lord, why doesn't someone build a Christian school in this area? And it would happen again, and I would say, Lord, why doesn't someone build a school? So one day, I was reading the newspaper, and an article jumped out at me that the school department was selling or getting rid of closing our neighborhood school, which was uh, 
from K up till grade six in our neighborhood. And the Holy Spirit just jumped within my heart and said, you have to buy that building. And I'm taken back. I told my husband when he came in, we have to buy Atlantic Heights School. He said, what? (laughs) (laughs) We prayed about it and took it to the church, and they said, if you feel that's what the Lord's saying, go ahead, offer to buy that building. When we told the school department, they said, wonderful. We're so happy you want to make it into a school. You can have it for just a very, very low amount of money. And so we began to advertise and begin to look for enrollment and curriculum. But the city uh, board of directors said, no way. The school board cannot give you that building. It belongs to the city. And so then we start all over. The city had a public hearing in the school, and they had their... uh, lawyer lead this public hearing meeting and telling all the reasons why we shouldn't have the building, separation of church and state, and on and on. And so while he finished talking, one of the neighbors who was at the meeting and who did not attend our church stood up and he said to the lawyer, if Bethel cannot have this school building, just close it and bulldoze it down. We want them to have it because we know them. If they can't, bulldoze it. And that shocked him, and it shocked the city council. So we began to negotiate with the city council, and we were finally able to buy the building. I believe it was $20,000. And the church raised that money in two Sundays. And paid for it. So that part of the story amazed me that the church raised two, twenty thousand dollars. It amazed in two me weeks. too. <laughs> what really amazed me, though, was and this is something to think, guys. Imagining do this, doing this today. You told me you settled on that property in March of '79. You advertised. You cleaned all their graffiti. Facilities were set up. You hired staff enrolled 94 students under six grades, six teachers, six aides, and a principal, and opened that same September. Six Six months. months. Six months. We, We didn't do it. God did it. There's no way we could have done any of that except his power and his answers to prayer. And then the school grew and grew, and we had to rent a different building to have more room plus a gym. And we added up to high school. And so we continued growing, but we hit a spot where the enrollment was down. We were at a very low area in the school. And we needed a new principal because our principal went moved back to California. So one day I was 
driving alone to Pennsylvania to visit our, my parents and to take a class at uh, Valley Forge Christian College, a one-week condensed class. So all the way down on that drive, I was praying constantly, and I was telling the Lord, Lord, you know we need a new headmaster or principal, and I don't know who to call. He needs to be loving the children, loving the parents. He needs to be able to be notice downtown and get acquainted with the business people downtown. And I had a long list of what this person was supposed to be like in order to be the principal. And this is going on my conversation for about five hours in the car. So I come home and began to interview uh, teachers. We had a, a class that needed a teacher and I was interviewing, and one lady came in to be interviewed, and after talking, she said, that's not the class I want. I like a different class, third grade. And I, I was so impressed with her, however, that when she said no, she couldn't take the class, I said, would you be interested in being the administrator, the principal? She says, oh, no, no, that's not me. But she said, my husband's retired from the military. He was over a uh, base in, in Germany, but now he's retired, and it's time for him to get a job. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, okay, have him come in and talk to me, which he did. And we talked for about an hour. I was so impressed. Everything about him was everything I had prayed for. And, and then I, I said to him, well, what do you think? And he said, I'm interested. I would like to apply. So I said, okay, come and see the board. We'll have a board meeting. You can talk to them, and we'll see what they decide. He did. He came with a flip chart (laughs) with all of his vision for the future of the school. And so after he did that, we dismissed him. And the board, of course, was impressed and said, let's hire him. And how much can we give him? It was a tiny amount of pittance. So I called him and said, yes, we're interested. Would you come in again? He did, and he... I told him what the board said and how much we could offer. He said, I'll take it. I said, Dennis, why would you accept this offer? We cannot pay you very much. The school is at a low, uh, low uh, rate right now with the students are down. The enrollment is down. He said... Number one, I want to serve the Lord. Number two, I like a challenge. (laughs) It was a challenge. And number three, I know God will provide. Mm. And he was the man who filled every one, every detail of my prayer on that trip to Pennsylvania. So the church kept growing and growing, and finally we had to buy another property 
which he negotiated to buy for the school as it was growing. It was 50 acres, and he was managing to negotiate to buy that land. And then we have a new property. And we have a picture of that property today that we want to show you. The school is alive and well right now, right? Over 600 students, right? Now you know why she was the church administrator. Yeah, Betty, you would say, if I asked you this morning, um, who are the brains behind all of this, you'd say God. Yes. But I think if I asked who are the hands behind this, God would say you and the others that participated. God's the one who directed it, but he used you and everyone else to make it happen. It was just an answer to those prayers yeah. from the beginning, yeah. which he's so faithful. Yes. And if he's our intimate friend that we talk to all the time, like we talk to our best friend or our family, he hears and yeah. he answers. Yeah. Now those are two. Are you, aren't those encouraging stories? Aren't they? Awesome. Thank you. Amen. So, so those are practical things. I just wanted to briefly mention one thing that is a, from a physical perspective, and that is you mentioned it earlier, Peter. Six years ago, Peter uh, suffered from a stroke, and he was uh, unable to speak as a result of that stroke. Uh, and, um, and yet here you are this morning. The thing that really moved me wasn't that you were starting to able, that you were able to start speaking at some point, but what happened for you to begin to start speaking? I was in the hospital uh, three or four days. Couldn't walk. I couldn't talk. I couldn't write. And my speech therapist came in. She said, Peter, you, you're a minister. You must know the old hymns. I shook my head. She pulled out her iPhone and started playing a hymn. I started singing. She said, you're going to make it. And I did. Thank you, God. She said, when you're dismissed from the hospital, I want you to read newspapers. I said, do you mind if I read the Bible? (laughs) She said, read all you can. So... So I learned to read. You don't know how it is starting to read second time. My writing still isn't that great. She writes all the checks. (laughs) My handwriting isn't good. But thank God I'm here. But now my stroke left me with aphasia. You want to say something, but sometimes the brain, the left side, can't get it out with my mouth. I have to think before I speak, and that's not bad. (laughs) That's my story. Yeah. (laughs) So, let me... Let me say this because this is really important. Um, miracles 
God is a God of miracles. Amen. We are blessed to have you here with us this morning, but this isn't just a special day for you all to share your testimonies. Today, Bridge, it's a special day as well, because today is Peter's 89th birthday. And, and on top of that, Friday was Betty's 90th birthday. So what do you do when people have a birthday? You sing happy birthday, Leslie. So we have a special little cheesecake with lemon, a lemon frosting um, glaze over it for you. You can't have it right now. I know why it's lemon. I, you love lemon. <laughs> I have to give you a piece. <laughs> you told me you guys love lemon. Betty, you're a lemon person, right? Um, but thank you, Les. Um, we want to sing happy birthday to you guys. So, church, can we do that today? All right. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Peter and Betty. Happy birthday to you. We'll put this right here. If you think this is impressive, you guys, this man cuts his backyard with a full-on 360-0 turn mower, and she cuts the front yard with a push mower. No joke. True story, right? That's what you wanted for her birthday a couple years ago. A lawnmower. Yes. She won't let me cut it with a big mower. So I let her. <laughs> How can you not love the Millers? I asked you when we talked about this a few weeks ago, what advice you would say to people that listen to your story, because we're all at different places in our lives, and sometimes there are examples that we can share, and then there are people maybe that struggle to say, I've never experienced those types of things the way that you have. What would you share this morning? And there were three things that you all talked about. You said, be faithful. You said, be faithful in prayer. Be faithful in the word. And be faithful with what you have. And I just would love to hear you say just a few brief things about each one of those. Be faithful in prayer. What do you mean by that? I learned to pray when I was nine years old. Dad had a farm. My brother had a quarter horse. I wanted a pony. I said, God, if you give me a pony... I'll read two chapters of the Bible. I was nine years old. Remember that. I'll read two chapters every day, and I'll pray. Within two two weeks, a neighbor came to visit my dad on a farm. He said, my daughter has a pony, and she doesn't take care of it. You want to put it on your farm? My dad said, of course. So I got a pony. I learned to pray. But at pastoring, 
Betty and I would pray every noon. We would pray together. Fast and pray. So I learned to pray at an early age. Yeah. Not the kind of rote prayer that just is obligatory, but a relational kind of prayer that speaks to the heart of God. Yes. So being faithful in prayer. You also said be faithful in the word. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and specifically what you said was um, that you know the word. And that you can practice it so that when times of uncertainty come, you know what God's word says and you can choose God's word over what you may feel or what the world will say. Is that, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to add to that about being faithful in the word? Grow- <clears throat> Excuse me. Growing up, my dad had us read the Bible after dinner every night. One for each of us would read one verse around the table, and then we would pray. But we had also to memorize scripture all of the time and learn to apply that scripture with whatever was going on in our lives. And it just became natural to do that. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why we're trying to encourage people to learn scripture through Bible engagement. In regard to testimony, I go to the gym. My daughter takes me to the gym. She goes too. So I found several members that had strokes. And I said, can I share something with you? And they said, sure. I had a stroke too. But let me tell you my story. So I tell them the story. I think I've probably half of people there, I've told the story how God brought me out of the stroke. Mm. Great testimony, Peter. And then be faithful with what you have. Yes. Well, be faithful with what you have. I think uh, listening to your story, you didn't come to the table with everything that was needed, but you brought to the Lord what he entrusted you with, right? What I had. What you had. He said, give it. And I gave it. We gave it. And God supplied all we needed. Mm -hmm. Isn't that encouraging this morning, church? I want to... uh, I just want to thank you. Um, You are a really special couple, and it's a privilege and an honor to be up here with you this morning, just to let you share the story. Um, I know... um, Peter, just with some of the obstacles and the barriers that you have that you have verbalized and communicating, you did a phenomenal job talking today and letting the Holy Spirit speak through you. And Betty, always, it's always a pleasure to hear you speak of the the testimonies and the faithfulness of God. So I just wanted to say thank you. Um, Yeah, and I just wanted to, what do I want to do? I just want to tell you that I think that we need more people like you to lead the generations that are coming up. There is a movement, I think, in our world, in our country, and even in the churches, where we look at people that are in the latter generations, and we see that their place maybe has come to a time of expiration, that they're not as valuable. But I can't think of a situation that's more valuable than this, to listen to the stories of your faithfulness with God and his faithfulness with you, to encourage all of us as we continue to carry the baton 
for the Church of Jesus Christ. Betty's writing a book. She's got two chapters. <laughs> All right. Growing up, we had a song that we sang a lot in youth group. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, or over mountain or plain or sea. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord. I'll be what you want me to be. And we used to sing that, and it became a part of us. And the word of God uh, tells us his word is like a light to our feet, a lamp to our path. And that simply means understanding. He understands, and he lights the road ahead. You can look ahead and see the road. But more than that, he lights with a flashlight our feet so we don't trip. We don't stumble. It's it's the word of God that does that for us. So we have to learn it, read it, know it, and that will happen. I want to thank you both for being here today. Um, I want to just take a moment and I want to pray over you both. One, not just because it's been your birthdays, but just in Thanksgiving for what you've, how God has used you and how you've been a, a, a mouthpiece to share God's truth with so many people over the last 60 plus years in ministry. Um, so if you would stay right where you are, um, I'm going to invite the church just to join me and pray. Our worship team is going to come up as we get ready to, to close for the service. And um, We were here in 1955 and 56. We were teaching this church. It was Maranatha. My father-in-law helped start the church, AG Church in Green, Green Street. Street. That was long ago. I forgot about that. That's right, I forgot yeah. about that. So here you are, full circle. Back home. Full circle. Would you guys join us as we pray over Betty and Peter? I'll take that for you. Let's just pray for the the Millers today. Father, we just thank you for knowing us and for loving us. God, we thank you for Peter and Betty. God, that they're not just a man and a woman who chose to follow you and make a decision to trust in you years ago or to ask Jesus into their heart, but they really did choose to be the students to the greatest teacher that ever lived that they're truly followers of Jesus, that they are students of the great discipler, that they've experienced your power, they've seen your hand of provision, they know what it means to be loved by you, even in the midst of pain or uncertainty, and yet, God, they're still walking and they're faithful. Jesus, I just want to say thank you for their faithfulness, their love, for each other, their love for your church body, their love for people. Thank you, Lord, that their words are testimonies that get planted in the hearts of all who hear so that they can be encouraged. And Lord, I pray just the, just the examples that we saw this morning on how they can be seen or how you can be seen through them would be testimonies that are planted in our hearts today. God, that we would not walk away from bridge today thinking about scripture without practical examples, but we would be mindful of the fact that when we say you provide and your promises never fail, we can be reminded of Peter and Betty Miller and how you use them and how you were faithful to use them 
you will be faithful to use us if we're faithful in prayer, faithful in the word, and we just give you what we have. God, bless them immeasurably and let the, let the latter half of their years, Lord, be more influential and may their words change generations of people. Will you fill them with your spirit afresh, Lord, and may they know you in a deeper way so that others can know you more. We thank you for their faithfulness and their testimonies. We pray blessings over them today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, would you just join me in welcoming them one more time? stories like this is that everyone has an opportunity to share a story because God doesn't work with some and not others. He simply looks for us to do the same things the three, the two of them just said. Be faithful in prayer. Are we faithful in prayer? Not that we recite the same thing over and over again, but we recognize the purpose of prayer is to begin a community between us and God, a relationship between us and God, to be faithful in the word, to take the word of God planted in our minds so it can make it to our hearts and when the storms come or the challenges arise we don't look to the left or the right we look to the word of god as our compass and our anchor that's so important and then finally to be faithful with what we have that's what's so beautiful about it god took two people who loved him and walked obediently with the little that they had and he has used it for his kingdom and his purpose He's not interested in the size of your bank account. He's not interested in the skill level that you have. It could be big or small. It doesn't matter. What he's looking for is for you to be faithful with what you have. God is a master at taking whatever we've been given and whatever we have and filling in the rest for his kingdom and purposes. Remember, his will, his bill, his purpose, his plan, his provision. That's the way it works. So I'm going to ask him of our prayer people to come up to the front here this morning and though we're not going to sing this song together you're welcome to stay if you would like to i'm just going to pray a prayer of dismissal over the church service today if you would like to stay you're welcome but we're going to start our box decorating in a few moments i just want to encourage you during this season of thanksgiving to be mindful of what it means that we don't just serve a god we serve the provider we serve the giver of all things his name is jesus and he's worthy of our prayer our praise. Jesus, thank you for loving us and for knowing us. Thank you for being in relationship with us and promising to meet every one of our needs. I pray in your precious name that as we walk through our doors today, as we seek you, Lord, that you will continue to show your hand the faithfulness and provision. God, we put it all in your hands. Continue to be our provider as your word says, and may we see you evidenced in all we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.